0: book of John. We will be in John chapter 13 and a little bit of John chapter 14 this morning. Um, For those of you who are guests with us, uh, we welcome you. We have uh, been in an 18 to 19 month series in the book of Luke and Uh, We find it uh, refreshing to make it our regular diet to look at uh, books of the Bible and just work through them, letting God's Word uh, teach us as we go. But there are times when we want to take some uh, seasonal breaks and intentionally just try to focus on some certain topics or certain directions. And as a church for 2018, our aim is that we would understand a little bit better of what it means to be and to make disciples. So as a church, our mission statement is we exist to be and make disciples who treasure Christ, love the church, love the city, and love the world. So we're just wanting to hone in for this four weeks. So we're in week three. This is week three, a four-week series on what it means to make disciples. So um, as we are on this journey, I want to look at it with us in John chapter 13. And I'm going to read verses 31 through 35, but we'll be um, looking at John 13 and John 14 as we uh, worship together today. So what I want to do is I'll read that passage, then I'll pray, and then we'll go at it, okay? John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. The Word of God says this, When he had gone out, that is, Judas, who was going to betray Jesus, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I love you, and I thank you that over your people, you say those very words to us. The only way we could ever say, Jesus, you are my treasure, Jesus, I love you, is because you pronounce it over all those who trust in you. You pronounce it over us as a father to a child because you have made us children. You've adopted us into your family. For everyone who would say, I cannot save myself, but I need Jesus to rescue me. And I can't do it. You alone must do it. The only one who can save is Jesus. And so... That's the declaration that brings us together today, and for some in this room who cannot say that, God, I just pray. I pray that you would meet them where they are. I pray that you would encourage them where where they are, that you are real, and that you are precious, and you are worthy of full surrender. I ask, oh God, that those who have not declared you Lord of their lives, King of their universe, would surrender today and profess faith in Jesus. But I also ask for your children. Your children would know your love, and they would give away your love as long as you give them breath. So please, oh God, help us in these moments now. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. After the sermon today, um, we are going to have an opportunity to acknowledge uh, several of our uh, gradu- graduating college students and uh, uh, graduate uh, students, and we're going to have an opportunity to kind of put some of what we're going to talk about today into practice. And that is that we are all sent ones; that we are all sent out to make much of Jesus's name. And so we're going to pray over them, and we're going to so to speak, commission them in some way to say that we are all missionaries, and we are all to go out wherever we are to love Christ where we are. But where does this come from? It comes from this idea that Jesus clearly states in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven on earth has been given unto me. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples, make followers of Jesus, of all the peoples, all the nations, all the ethnic groups baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded them, and I will be with them always to the end of the age. And then Jesus says, that is for all of my followers. He says, for as the Father has sent me, so I send you. This is why we are Focusing in on this idea that to be a part of Christ's family is to be a disciple maker. But I found myself as a parent getting this question. Because my kids, my two oldest, are now in algebra. So my oldest kid is in algebra 2 and is doing some pre-calc stuff. And then my uh, second oldest child is also into algebra, and so if I get this question once, I'll get it probably four or five times this semester alone. What difference does this make? And you know, I have to look at them and say it doesn't make any at all. No, just kidding. I don't say that. But I'm like, okay, they're not going to be math teachers. So when they ask me how to graph a parabola, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, how far is this really going to take them? Or when they tell me, can we work on imaginary numbers? (laughs) They're imaginary. Why do that? Well, okay, so, you know, so I've got some internal wrestle going on too, you know. What difference does this make? And then I have to kind of step back and think, you know, well, it's developing reasoning skills and logic. And, and it also teaches you that when you face something that you have no desire for at all, and you still have to do it, it's, it's a value to you to push through it, right? That's about as much as I can get out of math. So anyway, they asked the question, how does this matter? How is this revel, relevant to my life? And for some of you, honestly, When we talk about making disciples, the same thing could be said. For some of you, this series seems irrelevant to everyday life. And we are laboring today and in this series that it's not just relevant to everyday life. It actually is everyday life. You are making disciples when you are in relationship with anybody You're making disciples to what you love. You love sports, you tell people about it. You love music, you tell people about it. What you study, you talk about this, you love it. How you care for people, how you spend your money, what you watch, what you worship. We're all disciple makers. We all talk about what we love, and we get excited when others love it with us. That is what it means to be a disciple maker talk about what you love, and get excited when others start loving what you love. There is one love that is greater than every other love, and it puts every other love in its proper place. It is the love for Jesus Christ. And so we are all guiding, we are all helping people walk in these ways of Loving what we love. And Jesus says, you should be so secure in me. And you should be so free in me that you love me, that you want others to love me as well. However, this series not only could seem potentially irrelevant because it's hard to figure out what it looks like in everyday life, but it could also seem a little frustrating and almost insensitive. Because when we State jesus's words to go out and make disciples some of you are saying you're asking me to pour into other people when i feel pain when i am in such a difficult spot and you're asking me to do something it just seems insensitive like we're indifferent to hurts and i want to promise you that what we will see today is our suffering Savior's call to love others and to make disciples. He makes that call right before he dies and he makes that call right after he dies because what is remarkable and unique in Jesus knows it that making disciples is part of the pathway to healing because in disciple making... People are shaped not by your perfection, but by you imperfectly leaning into Jesus in your pain. There was a woman in this church, and in her community group, she began to get into relationships with some people. And as she uh, walked alongside this one woman, uh, she just felt like uh, that they could spend some time together. And Just talk about God's word together. And so they did that for um, a few weeks, maybe even a month. Just Bible over coffee, Bible through texts, just walking alongside one another, pouring into one another's life. But then as they were doing life together, sometimes they would go over to each other's house. They would fold clothes together and they would talk about God in the midst of folding clothes just intentionality in everyday life. But then something happened. A few weeks after they met, this one woman who was trying to walk alongside this other woman began to struggle in her faith, experience some intense suffering and pain. And at that moment, all the kind of internal bells go off like, I can't do this over here anymore. I'm a wreck. Have you ever been there? I'm a wreck. I can't do anything with them. I have nothing to give. But the Spirit of God was so kind and began to press in and press in on this woman's life. And he, the Spirit of God, prompted her to keep her meeting, to be real about her struggles, and to continue to walk alongside this other woman. The result was, when they met, God gave her honesty to share about her struggles. God also gave her desperation to go to God's word in the struggles with this other person. And What began to happen was God gave her words to encourage this other woman, but also God gave this other woman words to encourage this woman who was suffering. And to this day, as they reflect back upon this time, it almost took a year before the clouds began to dissipate of suffering and there began to be light at the end of the tunnel. But by the time that was over, there was this strong sense that the greatest sense of growth came not when this woman was at her strongest, but the greatest sense of growth came when she was open and vulnerable with her weakness. Because this woman began to see what it was like to lean into Jesus through her pain. So I look to you and I say, I know that this can sometimes, when you hear the statement, make disciples, it can seem like, okay, I've got to go do something else, and I don't know what it looks like in everyday life. You say, this seems irrelevant. For others of you, it's just like, you tell me to go make disciples, and I'm in such pain. I don't know how in the world you expect me to do anything. And I just say, listen, listen to the word of God. And listen to our Savior's words right now in John 13. When right before he's about to die, he encourages his followers. They're about to experience some of the most intense suffering imaginable. And he says, go make disciples. So let's see what he has to say. Now, there are three things that we're going to see today that Jesus paints kind of a different picture of uh, disciple-making. Whenever I heard of make disciples, for me it was always either a class that I was to take or it was for the super spiritual or something like that. That was disciple-making. Jesus paints a different picture for us in John 13 and 14. Three things that I want to put out for you. One, disciple-making isn't optional. It's how you survive. Two, Disciple-making isn't for the elite, but for everyone, because of the Spirit. And three, disciple-making is fueled by Spirit-empowered prayer. Disciple-making isn't optional. It's how you survive. Disciple-making isn't for the elite, but for everyone, because of the Spirit. And disciple-making is fueled by Spirit-empowered prayer. Let's see what Jesus says as on the eve of his suffering as we look at disciple making isn't optional it's how you survive john 13 31 through 35 let's look at those verses again it says when he had gone out now let's make sure you understand judas has just been cryptically identified to those who were kind of right near jesus at the lord's what we know affectionately as the lord's supper has been identified cryptically as the one who would betray Jesus. And Jesus says, the one who dips the bread into the cup is the one who will betray me. It was Judas. And he says to Judas, now you go and do what you are supposed to do. And Judas goes out. And that's where we find ourselves. Verse 31, when he had gone out, now Jesus speaks. And he says this, now is the son of man glorified. What's that mean? It means that now the, everything is in motion for the cross to happen. The betrayer is now left to go do what he was supposed to do. Everything is in motion for Jesus to die. He is on the path of his glorification. That is to fully obey his father all the way to even death on a cross. So he says, now is the son of man glorified and God will be glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. The cross was about the glory of God. His justice would be at stake if sinners would just get off the hook and there wouldn't be a penalty to be paid. His steadfast love and promises would be at stake if there were not a people preserved for the glory of God's name. This is a glory issue at the cross. He's got to be both just and justifier. He's got to punish and hate sin, and he's got to preserve a people by his steadfast love. That's what he promised. And so Judas leaving is to set the ball in motion to say, now is the Son of Man glorified. God will be glorified in him at once. And then look at verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. And you're going to seek me. But just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Okay, if I've been walking with Jesus for three years. When you walk intimately, leave everything and follow him for three years. You get kind of attached. I mean, I get attached to my wife, walking with her for three years, and this is Jesus. He is the greatest relationship on steroids. You know, whatever exponent you want to put next to your great relationship, you've got to infinity times that in order to say, this is Jesus. You're walking with the Son of God, and now he tells you. Where I'm going, you can't come. You're going to be alone. If that were me, it would be like panic moment. And so then it almost seems out of left field what he says next. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Okay, I'm not going to be with you, love one another. How does this go together? I need you, Jesus. I've walked with you. I need you with me. And he says something remarkable your survival is not primarily contingent upon me physically being in your presence your survival is on you loving one another later on he's going to uniquely say it's better for me to go that seems just crazy talk but here's what we see He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That's disciple making. That's why he says later on, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my, what's the next word? Disciples, by how you love one another. Loving one another is disciple making. So he right here says, I'm not going to be with you. Go make disciples. Do you get this? Your survival hinges upon loving one another. Because the physical Jesus is not here with you. Pouring into one another. Pouring into lost people. He he says that pouring into each other is how you're going to make it. You need someone to encourage you. You need someone to come alongside and cry with you. You need someone that when you mess up to forgive you and not seek revenge towards you. All these one another's that I mentioned two weeks ago that Pastor Travis mentioned last week. This is what Jesus says is essential for our survival. And so making disciples is our mission. But there's a video that I would like for us to see because we need to be careful what we mean when we say make
1: disciples. Can you play it? When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says, right? Most of us have played that unless you're really young because there's no app for it. It, it, Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon says, pat your head, you know, so okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says, is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize it. You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense, a lot of the things we do. When he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? But they memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. <laughs> I can say it in Greek. My friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. (laughs) She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know? It's just just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I'd start making disciples.
0: That was Francis Chan. And obviously, we need to be careful because memorizing God's word is a precious gift. And studying God's word is essential to growing in godliness. But for so many of us, that is all that disciple making is it's the Bible study. It's the memorization, but it's not obeying what Jesus says here. Love one another. And what Jesus is saying is that I will not be physically with you much longer. Your survival hinges upon us being disciple makers, upon us Loving one another. Upon us loving lost people into the family of God and then teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, Jesus says. We must be careful. We must be careful because I have seen many students of the Word shipwreck their life because it was not about a relationship with Jesus, it was about just knowledge about things and ideas. And I've seen many people shipwreck their lives because they knew a lot, but they were not giving love to other people. I tell you, I tell you, I have seen many relationships end in disaster. Not simply because people were bozos, that happens. But because they were bozos apart from community. They were secret and covert in their sin. They were not in family or in community. They were not loving one another and being loved on by others. And so they were over here. And I've seen so many relationships dissolve because... There was not just this regular life encouragement. One of the major lifelines in our church is community groups. It's because that is not the context where you learn about disciple making. It is where you make disciples. When you're eating with somebody... And you listen to their life story and their hurts and their pains. You're making disciples. When you encourage them and you say, I am praying for you. And when you give them a word of encouragement from God's word, you're making disciples. When you open up God's word and you just say, I need his word. I don't understand this. Can you help me? You're making disciples. You're being a a disciple. It's not where you learn about it only. It's where it happens. Community group is essential. It's an essential part of this church in growing in our relationship with Jesus. And so I think Jesus is saying that for our survival, we have to ask the question, who are we pouring into? And who are we allowing to pour into us? One of the primary contexts for that in our church is community group. We've also got This mentoring thing that we've been talking about. And there are people that want to be poured into. But there are also people who need you to pour into them. Maybe this is something God has for you. But disciple making is not optional. It's essential for survival. But disciple making number two isn't for the elite. But for everyone. Everyone because of the Spirit of God. Here's where I get this. So, he's just said, Judas has left. I'm headed towards the cross. What's essential for your survival is that you love one another, that you make disciples. And then after that, Peter ends up denying Jesus, or Jesus tells him that He will deny him. So all of a sudden, Peter is portrayed not as this grand, great leader, but as this fragile man who's going to cower at the sight of this little girl who later asks him, are you a follower of Jesus? He says, no. And then Jesus says, but don't let your hearts be troubled. And he comes to comfort them because they've just heard that Jesus is not going to be with them long. You see that? John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. But then what happens is he begins to tell them that he's not going to be with them long. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 14 If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be, and you know the way where I am going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father but through me. So now you have get Peter, who is going to deny. And then you get Thomas, who just doesn't understand. These are, these are our heroes. These are the champions, right? And then he says this, which is crazy. Look at verse 12 of chapter 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. It's almost like whiplash. What does that mean? This is the man who calms the seas, who raises the dead, who heals the lame, and he says, greater works? And the greater works are contingent upon him leaving. That doesn't make any sense. So you've got all of his followers there, and he's just told them it's essential for their survival to love one another. But now all of a sudden... He's saying that these ordinary ragtag group of stubborn individuals are going to be able to do greater things than Jesus did. I'm with him. I don't get it. What's it mean? Well, I think the fact that we struggle to understand it begins with our struggle to understand who God is. And who he is in us. For some reason we've been lulled to sleep by our culture. Yes, even the Christian culture. That Christianity is a religion to watch. Not a relationship to cultivate. So we come on a Sunday. And it's like watching a good movie. That encourages you. You get a few snippets. Carries you on. And you just roll on. And all of a sudden, we begin to roll into what becomes Christianity as a religion. Christianity as something we consume as it fits our needs rather than something that we are and we participate in. Jesus already just told us it's essential that we participate in it. It's essential that we love one another, not just sit on the fringes and watch a good movie. But in addition to that, we have come in our watch this mentality and we have resigned that the ones who are really effective are the ones who are up here. They're the disciple makers, the leaders of the church. They're the ones that do that. That's for the super elite Christians. It's not for people like me. And that is just not what the scriptures bear witness to at all. The scriptures bear witness to this very strong principle that God does extraordinary things through ordinary people. And here he says to ordinary people, people that wouldn't be on many top lists at all, as you might Google top lists today, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So, what does he mean? What does he mean? Well, in what sense will we do greater works? I think it's connected. If you look at verse 12, and it's wording, it says, Greater works than these will he do Because I am going to the Father. There's two things about his going to the Father that make the works that we will do greater than the works that he did. Two things. One, what does it mean that I am going to the Father? John has used this phrase regularly to talk about Jesus' death. I am going to die. And I am going to the Father. So what he has at the front of his disciple-making spear here is that he is going to die. He's going to be crucified. What does his crucifixion do that affects us in such a way that the works that we do, because of his crucifixion, will be greater than his works? Answer? Because Jesus died and rose again, now we have a message, a message that was finished on the cross, a message, a proclamation that says more than just physical healing, there is eternal salvation. And Jesus can guarantee that that eternal salvation can be yours by simple faith alone. What is greater? What is greater is because he died, our preaching and testifying to Jesus' finished work will and can lead lost people to salvation that his miracles only foreshadowed. Does that make sense? His miracles foreshadowed and they were done to demonstrate his power that would only be confirmed once he died and rose from the dead. But now that Jesus is dead... And now he is alive, the message is confirmed. And this is why you can see he uses this, this language kind of interchangeably when he heals physical blindness and then he talks about spiritual blindness needing to be healed. Or when he feeds the hungry... And then he talks about that Jesus is the bread of life and he is the one that satisfies the soul. All of these physical things are foreshadowing what can only be guaranteed if Jesus dies and raises from the dead. Do you get it? What's greater works is that we have a finished message to proclaim that will bring not just physical healing at times, but brings eternal salvation. Which one is greater, the physical healing or the eternal salvation every single time? It is eternity with Jesus. It's greater. In what other way is it greater? Greater works will they do because I am going to the Father. What else is connected to his going to the Father? John tells us just a few verses later in John 14. Look at John 14, 16, and 17. He says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Who is that helper? The Holy Spirit. That's right. So what is necessary for the Holy Spirit to come and take up residence within us? He tells us later, John 14, 25 through 27. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When he leaves, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. John 16 goes ahead and confirms that message. So, what is greater than Jesus physically being in front of us and doing all of these great things, it is for Jesus to leave and the Holy Spirit to dwell in his people and his people be on a disciple-making mission. That is greater. So the nature in that the proclamation leads to eternal life and the extent it goes further, it reaches wider because the Spirit of God is inside God's people. In those two ways, the works that we will do are greater. You follow that? Now, why is that greater? Why is it greater? The answer is found as the Spirit of God comes and dwells within us. Francis Chan had a conference that I attended. He talked about This comparison, if any of you have read the Old Testament, you begin to get this picture of God and his holiness that is inapproachable. It is so radiant and so glorious and so holy, other that when people walk into the presence of God, there is just, there's so many ceremonies that had to be gone through in order to not die in the presence of God the glory of God would fill the temple. And it was just this radiance that proclaimed throughout the temple that God was among them and he was great and he was different than everything else that they could behold and see. And now, the power of the Spirit of God that indwelt the temple is the same power that indwells us as not just individuals but as a people because we are now called the temple of God we are being built up into the temple of God because the spirit of God dwells within us in power that same power that was in the temple dwells in every single believer not just the elite greater works will you do than these because the spirit of God is with you. Now In John 16:7 he says this, "It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you." Now that feels crazy. It does. It feels crazy. Yeah. It does. So I was reading a book by J.D. Greer called Gaining by Losing, and he gave this very, I thought, helpful illustration asking the question, say there's a vacancy in a youth ministry position at Treasuring Christ Church. And if there were a vacancy, how would you feel if Jesus put in his resume? Seems like a top candidate, don't you think? Would you have to think on it very long? I mean, just think about it. Best teacher ever, okay? He would know how to relate to everyone at every moment. Reaching law students, nobody would be better at it. There was this sense of, you need to know how to lead, and him raising up leaders around him, champion. That's Jesus. Parents, you need a little wisdom? Hey, just text Jesus. He's got some for you. I mean, it feels as if there is no better candidate out there. And yet Jesus himself is saying, if you had to pick between Jesus as your youth pastor and the body of Christ filled with the Holy Spirit, You should choose the latter every time. Because he says it is better that I physically leave because then I get to send the Holy Spirit to indwell in every one of you. Did you ever think when he says, go and make disciples? Did you ever get frustrated that you don't know everything and you can't be everywhere? Did you ever get frustrated that people sometimes seem a little more competent than you in some areas? Join the club. That's how he set it up. Why did he set it up that way? Why why isn't Jesus just everybody's pastor? Why isn't that the case? Because Jesus was human. He had limitations when he goes he gives the Holy Spirit his Holy Spirit indwells everyone J.D. Greer said this in his book yet Jesus said that if we really understood what is being offered to us in the Spirit of God if we had to choose between that and a church in which every believer has the Spirit of God in them we would take the latter the ministry potential of the Spirit of God in ordinary people is greater than if he stayed on earth to lead the mission Doesn't the fact that we are not as excited about the Spirit inside us as we would be about Jesus as our youth pastor show how far removed we are from Jesus' promise? The first church took this promise seriously. They didn't see themselves as building the church for Jesus as much as Him building the church through them. God promises because of His Holy Spirit To do extraordinary things through ordinary people. That's how we set it up. And so I want to relieve you of the burden that says I'm disqualified from this command. No way. He knew who he was given the command to. It's people like you and me. It's not for the elite, it's for everyone, because we're leaning not on ourselves, but on the Spirit of God who is power within us. There should be an excitement that rings around the room that you are not throwaway, you will be used by God to make followers of Jesus. Yes, even in your pain, yes, even in your deficiencies, that's how we set it up. I would say not despite those, but through those deficiencies, through those inadequacies, through your suffering, the Spirit of God works. That's why Paul says it's in weakness that his strength is made perfect. Oh, dear friends, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I pray, I pray that you become convinced that the God of heaven dwelling in unapproachable light dwells in you he dwells in you and so he says you are valuable to him you are precious in his sight and he has stamped you with himself it's called a seal a guarantee that you're going to get to the end you are stamped with God Almighty in your heart and so there should be hope when you look at tomorrow that you are not purposeless you are not throwaway. you are valuable and God will use you to make followers of jesus and so finally disciple making is essential for our survival disciple making is not just for the elite but for everyone because of the spirit of god and disciple making is fueled by spirit empowered prayer look at what he says right after he says greater works than these so verse 12 Says, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And then verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, there's a lot we could say about prayer here, but I'm literally just going to take three minutes. Not because constrained by time, but because I want to lead us into praying. When he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, he is is connecting ordinary people being used to make disciples as essentially being fueled to do that through prayer. How will the car run of disciple-making? It is through the fuel of connecting with God in the power of the Spirit through prayer. You call out to Him. Disciple-making begins with just being desperate before Him, just calling out to Him. Whatever you ask in my name. Next week, we're going to talk more about prayer and disciple-making. But at a minimum, this verse is calling us to ask God for whatever... In accordance with his character and his will and for his fame. And he promises he's going to answer. So that means I want to talk to him. I want to call out to him. For the glory of his name, I want to call out to him. For my healing, I want to call out to him. And he is depicting the person filled with the spirit of God. On the path of disciple making. Doing greater works than even Jesus. In those two ways that I mentioned. Calling out being carried along in that journey, beginning that journey in prayer. The fuel for disciple making is the Holy Spirit. And it begins in prayer. And friends, some of the most encouraging and clear answers to prayer in my life have come when I was specifically praying for others. That God would heal hurting people and i've watched him heal when i was praying for lost people and i have watched them trust in jesus when i was praying for people enslaved to addictions or all kinds of other idolatry and i've watched them be set free When I was praying for opportunities to share Jesus with lost people. And I saw God open up doors. When I was praying for an opportunity to speak into someone's life. And God brings them to me. And we have this coincidental conversation. I call it providence. I call it God's kindness. Dear friends. God is asking you. He is asking you in this moment to call out to him and to say, God, who can I walk alongside and pour into? Wouldn't it be amazing if there was an army out here called Treasuring Christ Church that said, I'm going to pour into one person. This year, I'm just going to make it my aim to pray for and to walk alongside to get to know one person. Who might that be for you? Because if you know that loving on people is essential for your survival in the faith and being loved on is essential, and if you know now it's not just for the elite, but it's for everybody because the Spirit of God is in you, you are equipped and you can continue to grow, might we pray, God, use me. God, who can I pour into? God, help me to go to community groups so that I can be poured into. Help me to come on a Sunday looking for people to talk to, to share with. Sensitivity to the Spirit of God and walking in the boldness and power that he gives you begins in prayer. And so let's spend some time in prayer together. I want to pray for us and then. I've written out my prayer, and I'm going to put it up on the screen. But let me just pray right now. Let us just bow our heads and let us just rest in this for a minute. Father in heaven, I pray. I pray, oh God, that you would encourage your people, that they are precious in your sight. And that their greatest fulfillment is in living for your glory. That your fame might be known among one another in this church and among lost people. Father, I pray. I pray, oh God, that you would come and come in power. I pray, oh God, that you would move in our midst and you would lead some of us to repentance For not just taking you at your word. And when Jesus says it, we do it. I pray that you would lead some of us to finally, maybe for the first time, open up our hearts and our pain. And call out to you with everything that's on our mind. Not the made up us, but the everything that is in us, us. And we give you everything. And we call out to you and we ask whatever. Father, I pray. I pray that you would so change us by the power of your spirit that we would pray in alignment with you and we would surrender wholly to you. I pray that you would work within us, oh God. Please, I pray, help us to be and to make followers of Jesus and not relegate that to anybody else, but to say this, is what I get to do. Oh God, thank you for using me. Now we're going to, with in a spirit of prayer, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Two tables in the front, one in the back. And as we take the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is a declaration of both our acknowledgement of past sins and our need for Jesus to wash us clean of our sins both past, present, and future. And it's a an asking of God to move in our lives. It's a rehearsing of his present promises and it's an anticipation that one day we will be with him. But until we are with him, it's a calling out that we want to be disciple-makers, make- so... What you will see as we take the Lord's Supper is I'm put a prayer uh, up on the screen and you can pray something like this in your heart. I just wanted to kind of guide you through it. I just wanted you to have some type of guide. But you relate to God. And if you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, this meal is not for you, but this time is for you to Maybe for the first time, ask for Jesus to change you from the inside out. To realize your religion or just mere attendance or just being a good person doesn't save you. The only thing that can deliver you from shame and the guilt of your sin that you have chosen is that you trust that Jesus died for your sin and he rose from the dead. Take this time to say, oh God, please save me. And he promises that he hears that prayer. And so don't take of the Lord's Supper, for that's for those who have already surrendered their lives to Jesus, but in this time call out to Him. But children of God, use this prayer as an encouragement to you, but when you are ready, let's take the Lord's Supper together.